The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. The Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription. You heard that right, 12 months free. If you follow the link in the description box for casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout. Hello, you gorgeous lot, and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Aileen here. How are you all doing? Well, we have made it to episode 100. I can't believe it. We are over the moon. We have an amazing guest for you today. We have the incredible Kira Jones screenwriter, filmmaker, actor. Louise and I spoke to Kira um, just a few days ago uh, with time difference allowing. Um, what an inspiration she is, this episode is. It couldn't have been more perfect to round us up to our 100th episode and we can't wait for you all to hear it. Little bit of news, um, our beautiful sunflower Misha has taken a step back. I'm sure She'll be a guest host on the podcast, so don't worry. Louise and I would just like to take this moment to say a massive thank you to our sunflower, Misha. Persistent and Nasty wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have survived um, these last few years without Misha. Um, Misha McCullough is an amazing actor and producer and has given so much to us over the last two, two and a half years. Um when she's just at the start of her career and persistent and nasty is pretty consuming (laughs) it's it's all consuming so it's a testament to what a wonderful person she is so if you ever get the chance to work with her grab it with both hands Mish, you will always be our sister in arms our ray of light our nasty gal and our sunflower Thank you for everything you have done for us. Those of you that follow us on social media will be aware of the amount of advocacy work that we have been doing recently. And for anybody who has been triggered by the events in our industry of late, there is a bunch of resources in the show notes of this episode. Um, We also just wanted to say that we are going to be having a little pause on the podcast. There is going to be a highlights selection so tell me your favorite episode favorite moment favorite line 
um, inspirational quote from one of our amazing guests that we've had and I will collate all of that together and pop that out hopefully in a few weeks for you all but in the meantime know that we're not going too far we are um, busy um, getting our ducks in a row and we will be back with the podcast very soon and we will be recording with guests while we're away so you have a whole bunch of people um, who will be just as incredible as our first 100 we are absolutely sure um, I'm actually quite emotional that we've made it to 100 episodes um, when we started Persistent and Nasty we never knew what it was going to be um, and what we would end up doing so it was always just to give a voice to those voices who have been silent for far too long those who have been marginalised and ignored and I am really overwhelmed by the fact that we have done our, a little bit and helped with that um, a little and given support to our industry and community. Um, we will be putting out lots of things on the social media so make sure and follow us. You know the drill by now, I'm sure you do. You can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty and send us a wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. Remember to like, subscribe, download, review, leave a comment on the episodes. It really, really, really makes a huge difference and it means the world to us. And again, just to everyone who has donated to us, um, as you all know, we are unfunded as of this moment. Um, your generosity and support is incredible and we are forever grateful to you. Well, I think since it's our 100th episode, I'm going to be having a glass of champagne. You can have whatever beverage, hot or cold, you prefer. And you all know I love a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax and enjoy episode 100 of the Persistent and Nasty podcast with the incredible Kira Jones. Very excited to have you here. Um, I guess the best thing to do at the top, um, for the benefit of our listeners, is to ask you to introduce yourself to the Persistent and Nasty community. Okay. Hey, Persistent and Nasties. Um, my <laughs> name is Kira Jones. I use she, her pronouns. I am a Chicago-based, or at least for the next couple months, Chicago-based screenwriter, actor, and filmmaker. I'm currently uh, writing for the Hulu series Woke for season two of Woke. So, so exciting. Um, and uh, you've had a kind of a, a mad journey on your screenwriting journey, haven't you? Yes. Because I um, con connected with you first through the Screencraft Screenwriters Summit. And I, I just thought your your journey through that process was so fascinating because it kind of feels like it was a bit of a wild ride. Very much that. It was super wild for everybody involved. Uh, I was not expecting any of what occurred. I don't think anybody in the equation of what happened had seen anything like what happened to me. Um, so basically, I'm going to... 
it's like kind of a long story, uh, but I'm trying to figure out a way to like condense it. Because we... Go with the long story, okay. Peter. Do the okay. long story. Sure. You love a long story. Give us yeah. it. Give us it. Yeah. So um, I um, started as an actor uh, and I still act, uh, but kind of, uh, you can't see me because it's a podcast, but I'm Black. And, uh, you know, being a Black woman, the roles that are available for us, especially back when I was in college, were really limited and usually pretty stereotypical and I kind of felt like uh I would like to be I would like to have more agency over how these stories are told rather than just be plopped into somebody else's version of what they think my life should be like or the life of other black women uh so I started writing uh went into to film and I have a web series that did really well on the festival circuit and was like, okay, this is actually really what I want to be doing. So started concentrating really hard on screenwriting the past like two years and was having really good success on the festival circuit and with the screenwriting competitions, including ScreenCraft. I won Nashville uh, Film Festival screenwriting competition. I won a ScreenCraft pitch competition. I won some other things, but was like having no luck on the rep front, like could not even really get a meeting with any agents or managers or um, anything of the sort. And I ended up signing up for Coverfly pitch week. So they have this really cool program, which I believe they're accepting and uh, they're accepting applications now. So if you are interested, you should absolutely apply. And it's like free. It doesn't cost anything. You just have to make a cover fly profile and say you want to be considered and that's it. Um, but I was like, cool. Um, I'll, I'll might as well do this. And the way that it works is that um, if you're selected, uh, people from the industry, reps and uh, producers and execs can choose from the list of the people who are uh, admitted and like decide who they want to meet with. And you can get, you get like, you know, 20 to 30 minute meetings with folks. And so the cool thing about that as compared to other similar programs where they kind of just pair you with someone random or it's like the hunger games to try to get the rep or or exec that you want it's like these people chose you you know they want to meet with you and they you have read your work um which I you know really was a complete game changer and I went into those meetings like yeah, this will be kind of a general get to know you situation. And maybe if they like me, they'll give me their email and maybe down the line, I don't know, they might like put a good word in for me on something. That's not what happened. Um, I had several meetings with four. One was with a rep who offered to sign me on the spot. I was like, you're not signing me after a 17 minute meeting. I'm sorry. But um, the there was also three production companies that were interested in developing my pilot. They're like, no, we like read your pilot. We really love it. Like, let's talk about what it would look like to work together. And one of those meetings was with a production company that works on Woke, uh, Cloud9 Productions. And we really hit it off me and the uh, exec, her name is Anna. And she had mentioned during the meeting and not really in reference to me, but just generally talking about staffing and how more television shows are doing what they should have been doing this whole time and looking for people of the identities of the characters that are on the show to help make those stories more authentic. And so- Because you know, that that would be good. Right, right. I'm like, how is this all of a sudden a mad dash to find um, people, like minority writers when you've been here this whole time? 
she had mentioned that uh, Woke was having a really hard time staff finding their last staff writer because they were looking for a queer Black woman and it just like wasn't really working out. Um, and then an hour after our meeting, she emailed me. She was like, hey, actually, are, are you interested in being staffed? Because I can just send your pilot to the showrunner of Woke. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, you really didn't think anything of it. I was like, they're not going to choose me. I don't have any staff writing experience. Like, um, and the next day she emailed me, it was like, they really loved your pilot and they want to meet with you right away because they're moving really quickly. And she didn't extrapolate as to what quickly meant, like, because when I got the call from the producer about to schedule a meeting, he was like, we need to meet with you tomorrow. Um, this was like, so I had the meeting with the original meeting on a Monday. I got the email Tuesday that they wanted to meet with me. And then Wednesday they were like, great, we have to meet with you tomorrow because we are starting the room on Monday. And so I was like, okay, sure. Uh, so I had to like re-binge watch the whole se first season because I had seen it before. Um, I was a fan of the show. And so, but I was like, I need to re-watch it to refresh my memory. So I stayed up all night <laughs> binge watching it. Um, had the meeting with the showrunner and the executive producers and the creators. Uh, and then an hour afterward, I got a call saying that they were going to offer me the position. So I really, it was like um, a huge dash to like, get my contract signed and find a lawyer who ended up being like my uncle, who's like not an entertainment lawyer. He's like a retired public defender. <laughs> he like, was just like the, for the person I knew who was a lawyer. Um, and I had I had a full-time job and I had to like figure out how I was gonna like take a leave of absence from that and everything. And um, so my life got really hectic. And then to add on top of that, all of a sudden I went from having zero reps who were interested in me to 19 offers. Um, and so I, while I was starting in this room and my life was just like exploding, I was taking like two, three manager agent meetings a day. They were all offering to sign me on the spot. They were getting like really competitive. They were like fighting over me. They were emailing like if I mentioned, oh, I have a connection at this place, they would email that person and be like, tell her to sign with me. Uh, and it was like, how did y'all find my like first grade teacher? Like, what are you, how, what, what kind of like creepy CAA deep dive are you doing on my life that you're harassing everybody I've ever met? Um, so uh, I ended up signing with managers at Echo Lake, which was really exciting. Uh, and it's been, I've already gotten, you know, interviews for more television shows and other projects and uh I had a I have a indie feature that I've been working on that's been getting like a huge amount of traction and um some celebrities that we've been talking to to like executive produce and star and things that I never thought like you know a month even a week before that whole event happened that did not think we were going to be possible and all of a sudden just like the trajectory of my career just like flip-flopped and now I'm moving to Los Angeles and it's been really crazy. It's so crazy. I mean, congratulations on all of it. Um, yeah. it, was such, it was such a brilliant story when you when you told it on the ScreenCraft panel and then everybody in the comments is getting really buzzy about it because it is such an exciting story. But I thought it was really funny when you were um, and tweeting, you tweeted something about people, like loads of people asking you for screenwriting advice and you're a bit like, I'm still process processing what the hell happened. Like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it, it was so, 
I'm so honored and like flattered that so many people are inspired by what happened to me. And, but they ask me questions like, how did you get staffed? How can I do what you did? And I'm like, <laughs> no one can do what I did because it was a freak of nature situation. Um, I, I, I rec- definitely recommend uh, applying for screen cra- the screen craft, not screen craft, um, applying for the Coverfly, Coverfly pitch week. But like chances are what happened to you is not, what happened to me is not what's going to happen to you yeah. because that was all like the stars aligning they were specifically looking for some of my identities for a show that fit my voice like and it was starting the next week it, it it's not like that happens all the time so yeah um it, I'm <laughs> glad that it, it a lot of people are like I'm inspired to keep going because if you know her life can change over the course of a couple of days mine can too and I I think your life absolutely can change over the course of a few days but like maybe not exactly the way it did yeah so yeah it might not be quite so quick yeah um I mean it's it's, like uh um series or um film in itself but you know it's like one of those ones like you you should probably write that (laughs) yeah the journey pitch that that to someone because you like as you say it's really inspiring so it's good it brings people straight in which is which is great I'm like more more I want more and yeah. I can see why I can see why Coverfly and Screencraft they love that narrative, don't they? They're like, yes, this is this is kind of like what we want to push. It's all about because like if you just submit, you never know what will happen, yeah. um, which is true. Like I I totally I totally think that's true. Um, but you said something interesting on your panel, I think, because um, you were just like from the sounds of things, you just put in like two years of real graft in your writing. Like when you made that decision to go, okay, this is for me. And you just spent some time like writing a really good pilot. And that has to be part of it, like just putting the effort into making the thing that you eventually submitted as good as it can possibly be. Yes. Um, I didn't write the pilot for two years. Uh, I wrote it um, like the spring of last year. So I will say I did not. uh, I'm one of those people that I I just actually don't have to do a whole lot of rewriting of my things because I like let them marinate in my head long enough that by the time they get on paper, they're like fully formed. But that's just Mm. my writing process. But yeah, like I um, was working, I've been working on my feature for the last two years, you know, rewriting that periodically. And I've been taking classes. I've been on set like producing my stuff so it's not like I have just been it's not like it was an overnight success in the way that oh I decided I want to be a screenwriter and the next day I had an Oscar it was and even the journey to me figuring out that I wanted to be a screenwriter took a while because I started as an actor and it was like okay like I like doing this but it, it feels like a piece is missing and it's not as creatively fulfilling as I and not having the type of impact that I'd like to have and how can I be a part of shaping these narratives and so it it is you have to be patient, but you also have to know that you have no idea when the right opportunity is going to fall on your lap and like stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. Like you don't know (laughs) if you, I meet so many writers and I say that with air quotes because they like haven't written anything. They're like, I have an idea for a film. And I'm like, okay, great. So like, I don't, you pitching me your idea that you don't have a script for does nothing because if you meet somebody, like if you end up meeting an exec, and they are interested in your idea, you don't have the script to send them. So like, you have to be ready with your script in case mm-hmm. somebody does want to read it. Um, and so make sure that, it, yeah, absolutely make sure it's in the best shape possible uh, because you never know. 
You never know. It's so cool. Um, it's just something that you just said there was really fascinating about, you know, being that performer and that missing bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's probably so many people that are listening um, will chime with that because you can, I think for a lot of us, we go, right, okay, yeah, I'm a performer. So that's going to be it. And it's going to totally fill this part of me that is all about creating. But actually, like, as you see, having control over your own path and the way that you um what narrative you put out is so important and actually sometimes when you're quote unquote just an actor you lose that control yeah because it's all over to someone else's decision on do you look right it's not even most of the time it's not even about your talent right it's like 10 percent of it is like whether or not you can act (laughs) yeah Yeah. exactly it's like do you look right do do you have chemistry with that person all of those things was the casting director having a shit day when they saw you Mm -hmm. so many things but then you can when you start to create it yourself like you're doing and producing your own work as well as writing it you really are the one that is in charge of your without this sounding super cheesy your own destiny (laughs) it's it's true I very much encourage actors to at least try writing um you might find out it's not for you but um like even just kind of getting to imagine what your dream role would be and to create that for yourself is a really uh, fantastic exercise as an artist that you can do. And it's it's zero stakes. Like you could just write yourself a monologue and self-tape it and keep it and nobody ever sees it, but just to like, oh, like remind yourself, especially if you are some kind of minority, you know, including women where you're maybe always cast as a certain type of role. Like you're always cast as the maid or like the fat best friend or whatever. And you're like, I want to play an assassin. I feel like I can do it. Like write yourself a a monologue as an assassin and just remind yourself that you do have the range and the capability to do that regardless of the pigeonholes that the industry tries to put you in. Yeah, and I think that's so true. And it's like actors, I think um, quite often, well, to ever, to both your points, it's like that lack of agency that actors have and then those complicated situations where you find yourself in where the story, it's like you've touched on Kira, the story probably is, you've been shoehorned into a story about your identity that's not been told correctly. And then actors are so vulnerable because they're on that precarious, like, well, if I raise my voice about this, then I'm maybe not going to, I'm going to be perceived as difficult or not work again. And yeah, just get like the creative process, clawing back a bit of that autonomy and agency in the creative process is so fulfilling and important, I reckon. I think that's a really interesting point because I always wonder on this and I'm sure some male actors do experience that, but that thing of like challenging it as a female is always, I think we're, and maybe I'm being unfair, I do think we're more worried about the being labeled as difficult oh yeah yep Mm -hmm. especially if you add any other type of marginalized identity on top of that if you're a woman of color or queer woman or you know whatever trans woman um it is I, I do encourage people still even if you are labeled as difficult that doesn't mean everyone is going to see you as difficult. Now we have so many options. There's so many indie projects. There's so many networks, so many executives, like just because one person is an asshole and doesn't 
uh, want to work with you again because you said that you didn't want to be nude in this role doesn't mean that somebody else won't. And it kind of is nice to weed out the people that aren't here to make sure that one, you feel safe and comfortable, but also two, that the story is being told as best as it can be. Uh, and so like, there's certain people in the industry, not that I like have burned a bridge with them, but I know that they have values that I don't share and values that I find um, problematic. And I'm like, I've told my reps, like, don't send me in for a meeting with them. Don't send me in for an audition with them because I don't want to work with them. Uh, and you can do that. Like you are, we are, we literally have been trained. Like I remember my acting teacher telling me, like, you have to take every audition that comes your way. You have to take every role that don't, you do not. You are allowed to say no. Like we are actually told in classes, you have to say yes and. You don't. You can say no, but you should say no, but especially when it comes to your boundaries. So um, just know you are not this is your career and you need to feel good about what you're doing and you need to feel safe. And if that means turning down a certain opportunity, turn it down. Um, I've actually I feel like me turning down things that I didn't feel were right for me always a there was always something that came along like that was way better afterward that I wouldn't have been able to do if I had been stuck in that project that I wasn't comfortable with so you're not only make putting yourself in a position to feel shitty and to be in a role that doesn't feel right for you but you're also cutting yourself off from something that might feel really exciting to you so be be difficult if you need to yes be difficult mm -hmm. uh or be, be nasty, nasty, as we might say here. <laughs> be persistent and nasty. <laughs> yes. Um, it's so true. Because like saying I'd like to offer is like a no but, but also no period is another mm -hmm. thing that you can say. Because like, I feel like, you know, talking about meeting with certain people and just like not refusing to put yourself in a space with someone who doesn't align with your principles at best, but at worst makes you feel unsafe. Uh, my screenwriting mentor and I were talking about this recently, and he was saying that you can't change societal issues at a meeting with someone but you can walk away from that meeting so you can go do you know what thank you for your time this isn't going to work and that's yeah. really freeing and exciting to be able to it do that power move honestly to say no to like a, a big shot in the industry Woo, I love that shit I love saying no um there's like one I won't say who but there's like one particular person in the street that I'm like I will not have a meeting with them and I will not work with them and um I know that somebody uh told me that they rejected an offer from this person and they got an email back that said you don't say no to so and so but that was like the email response and I was like oh now I kind of want a meeting with this person so that I can reject them and get that email because <laughs> I want it because uh, I was like ooh, that that made me a little wet like I like I, I like upsetting famous powerful shitty people oh that's a little spicy and I like it <laughs> It's just like that thing of like, you don't say no to, I don't care. No. Yeah, I just did. I what know. are you going to do yeah, about exactly. it? What are you going to do about it? I said no. Oh. Yeah. I have so many thoughts and I can't back. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, the sexiness of shifting that power dynamic cannot be understated. Like, you're like, I'm going to say, you clearly want me. I have the freedom mm -hmm. to say no. Mm -hmm. Bring it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. 
And there's always going to be another opportunity. Like there's a scarcity mindset that we have in this industry that like, oh, if I don't immediately sign with this rep who wants me, even if I don't feel great about them, then there nobody else is gonna, that's my only opportunity. If I don't work with this producer, even though they don't feel like the exact right fit, no one else is gonna produce my work. And it's like, trust me, if one person is interested in you, someone else will be as well. You just have to find them and maybe it'll be some work to find that other person, but they exist. And um, it's, especially for reps, because like that is supposed to be, supposed to be kind of a lifelong situation, particularly managers. And I will say like fire your reps if you need to, like if it's okay if you made a mistake and just didn't work out right. Like don't, I think there's a lot of people who end up staying with reps out of loyalty that aren't right for them. Don't do that. But like having a bad rep is worse than having no rep at all. Because one, like if they are someone who has a bad reputation in the industry or they're really rude or they're not sending you for the right projects, they're not listening to you. Like they're, that's getting you less work and burning, potentially burning bridges for you. And I have a lot of, I have friends who have managers and stuff who never send them on things and they book all the stuff on their own. And then their managers still come with their handout for their 10%. So you're paying someone to do nothing for you. So reps are, they can be super helpful. Also, people need to know that they are not the end all be all because I got staffed without reps. I know multiple other people who got staffed without reps. And I know people who had big, you know, name agencies and and managers for years and have never gotten staffed, have never sold a script, have never made any money. So it is just you can still get to where you want to go without the reps but like they can be extremely helpful as well but it's not like you can't do what you want to do with without them and you don't want to end up in a toxic relationship through that those channels either because like that's just going to be damaging for your mental health and where you're at with your creativity and stuff yeah like so much of this industry is based on relationships and I liked what I like when you were talking earlier when you're in that sort of rep shark tank and they were all swimming around and you were like, you can't sign me on the spot after a 17 minute conversation. You don't know me. Like yeah. you can't know yeah. me after 17 minutes. I really like that. And that person, the, the person who wanted to sign me, he was really sweet, but like, um, he was an assistant and he was on the uh, promotion track where, where he mm. was. And so he was allowed to sign people. And so he was like, you have to meet um, the person that the other manager that I'm like paired with the more senior manager. And she was the most horrible person I have ever met in my life. Like she just came out the gate, like insulting me. I felt like I was on a date with a pickup artist. She just was like really mean and like, didn't like my writing and all of this. And I, she said, so my pilot is a comedy but my feature is a drama. And like the first thing she said to me, she's like, so I read your feature and like, why is it in a comedy? I didn't expect it to be a drama. Why are you writing in different genres? And I was like, uh, well, because I want to. And also, I mean, everybody else, all the other reps I've spoken to didn't have a problem with it. They were like, these voices are still the same, even though they're different genres. And she was like, well, they're just lying to you because they want to sign you, but I'm telling you the truth. And like this industry is going to want you to choose your lane and you need to stay in it. And she was just horrible to me this whole meeting. And I'm like, if I had, 
been thirsty and signed with this person before I really did my due diligence and made him have a longer follow-up meeting, I would have been stuck with this horrible lady. And I remember going to Coverfly and telling them about this awful meeting I had. And they're like, oh no, she's batshit insane. Like she has a horrible reputation in the industry. And so like, don't do, remember that your reps work for you. Like you are paying them. So if you don't like them and they're not a good fit for you, like, when you're going into those meetings, those signing meetings, the goal isn't for necessarily for you to impress them because they already like you if they're meeting with you. They need to impress you. Like you need to be asking all of the questions that you need in order to feel comfortable working with this person potentially for the entirety of your career. Um, And so I really went into those meetings like, um, and oh, so just so you know, my webcam, I'm pretty sure is racist. It like thinks that I'm not a person. I like, I don't even, it's not even a joke when I say that. Cause there's like some technology that doesn't recognize people of color's faces. Oh, <laughs> I think this may be the case. Yeah. Like they, they, uh, calibrated them to recognize white people so that's why yeah so that's and it's been an issue because sometimes these facial recognition technologies that are supposed to help catch criminals and stuff they will catch the wrong black person or the wrong person of color because they don't work on black people but anyway that was a complete there's I think there's um there's a documentary about it. I think it's called like coded bias or something. Um, but yeah, uh, but that was deep. Well, <laughs> but I also, I also forget so many times and you'd think after a hundred episodes, I would remember that we're a podcast and not like a YouTube channel. And, the, um, you know, the people listening can't see my face. Yeah, you can't see my face. Um, but yes, that was because my, um, my camera, it gets blurry sometimes. It goes out of focus and I, it just racism. I think, oh, um, but um, but when you're meeting with reps, you have you don't be afraid to be to be blunt and to ask what it is that you need to know. Like, uh, unfortunately, the representation in particularly the management space, like, is is abysmal. There are some. I will say all of the agencies I met with, they had at least one agent of color on the team that they put together for me. So like agencies, you can more easily find a person of color uh, if you're looking for that. But for managers, it's like next to impossible. Out of the 15 managers I met with, like there was maybe like four people of color and they like didn't work out for any other number of reasons, like either they didn't uh, offer talent representation or I didn't like them or like they were too green and they weren't really ready to rep somebody um, who was where they are in, in my career. And so I like got to a point where I was like, I have, I'm going to, I had like a mental, a little like many, at least panic attack. I won't say mental breakdown. I had a mini panic attack when I realized like I will have to sign with a white person. I don't really have another option. Um, but I had, I went into those, those meetings and I was like, you're white. So I was going to put that out there. You're white. I'm not like, I need to know how you're going to, how you're going to advocate for me. Like, can you give me an example of how you advocated for, uh, one of your clients of color? And some of them were able to give me like really amazing answers. And I felt really comfortable with them. And some of them gave me really kind of like eh, answers. And some of them gave me like really problematic and offensive answers. So it's like, if I hadn't 
been bold enough to ask that question, maybe I would have signed with them and then found out the hard way that they don't have the wherewithal to the clock when um, somebody is being racist or uh, queer phobic or, you know, whatever discriminatory to me and to like tell whoever that is that exec or, or whomever, like, hey, you cannot treat my client like that. Um, and that's part of their job. So just like, being being we're going to use this this term over and over again i think in this in this session but being difficult is necessary so you don't get steamrolled over and so you can protect yourself in your work i mean i think That's, what we're also yeah. getting from this is that um kira jones is power move queen <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's never let nothing bad has ever happened for me making a power move. It's only only good things. So, um, as long as you're polite, as long as you are um, respectful when you're asking these things and saying these things, like what can they really say? Um, you know, it's really fucked up if they're like, "Well, I don't want to work with them again because they told me I'm white." Like, you are white. That's <laughs> <laughs> just a fact, babe. Yeah, it is. We're going to try to get this to focus. Here we go. Thank goodness. Um, Yeah, it's just, and you know, this again, it comes back to relationships. It's like, if you're not going to understand my needs and you're not going to be willing to, it's like, what what are we doing here? We're not going to benefit each other. You got it. And you know, yeah, it is on, it is on, um, we we encounter it so much uh, in the work that we do with persistent and nasty. Like the further up the chain you get, the whiter it gets as well. Um, in terms of yeah. people in positions I mean, of power. We, I mean, we're in Scotland, so it's pretty I was gonna damn say. white. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Um, Super I white. Can't, <laughs> yes. I can't even imagine. I um, particularly last summer when all of the protests were happening here in the United States around police brutality and racism and basically everything a lot of writers a lot of people particularly black people were like let's move to other countries because this one's garbage it is garbage it's real bad um (laughs) and I remember going to a webinar that was about writing for television in other countries and it is just like I I would have to feel like I I feel like I'd have to move to a another country for a while and really absorb their culture in order to feel comfortable writing stories for and about them because that's the whole issue with what white people do is they come in and they write so or white men or like I can write a woman or you know <laughs> white people are like yeah I can write this black television show and not have any black writers in my room and I don't want to do that to another culture but also I found out that television writing is not nearly as lucrative in other countries. I think it's like up to 10 times less uh, in terms of payment. So I was like, so I'm going to be poor and I'm not going to understand the culture. (laughs) So I guess I'm stuck in this terrible, terrible country until it burns to the ground, which it seems like it's well on its way right now. (laughs) God. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's practically like the TV writing sort of, set up here in Scotland at least anyway is practically non-existent but I think it's getting better I think it is getting better um yeah. we've kind of we're getting to a place where we're, more studios are opening up and there's definitely a burgeoning film and tv thing happening so please come please come live here right here I would love to be more than welcome 
I would love to visit. I um, hear great things about Scotland. Here, everyone's really nice. I just need to travel more generally. I've always been broke, so I haven't been able to. Uh, but now I have a TV writer job and I have money, so I can try to do that more once the pandemic is over and that's safer because I also don't need to bring my disgusting United States germs to other countries that actually care about their people and their health. Um, but yeah, I, um, I actually really love like British television. I need, I, I want to watch more Scottish television. Dairy Girls is Scottish, correct? It's Irish. Oh, it's Irish. Irish. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I haven't watched it yet, but I, some people Great. in my writer's room said it's really, really good. Um, that I've seen some like South America or South African like films and television that I thought was really fun. So I need, I, I'm, and oh my God, like Korea is just out here killing the game with everything. So I um, really do one, want to like explore in terms of like the content that I'm consuming, but in terms of actually traveling as well. So I'm excited for that. <laughs> well, yeah. when you come to Scotland, you're sorted for um, tour guides, drinking buddies, whatever you need. Whatever you need. <laughs> oh my God, I would love that. Yes, I, I'm going to I'm going to plan a trip. I would absolutely adore um, going to Scotland. Um, yeah, you'd be welcomed here with open arms. And we do need to discuss having a little bit more content pushed internationally that isn't Outlander. So something else other than Outlander would be great. Not that I'm yeah. saying that that's a bad show. Yeah, all it could be the it. only like, thing. The only thing. No, it can't be the only thing. Um, yeah, I, more. <laughs> I mean, I love that streaming allows us to to access stuff outside of uh, the United States and um, that things are becoming successful that were not made here in the United States. Like, my God, Fleabag, Ugh, love Fleabag, love sex education. Uh, I love, um, what are, it's a, uh, there's, I'm like, it's like escaping me, but there's like several international shows uh, and uh, Parasite is like the best movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, it's so good. Um, So like, what are we even, I think American television is really fantastic right now, Um, but American, like at least the big mainstream feature films have been really garbage (laughs) recently, (laughs) like really, really bad. Um, So I've been like I think looking in the indie space and in the international space for those because I don't I don't know what's going on they're just like let's make um 16 sequels of something that shouldn't have even existed in the first place (laughs) yeah Yeah. definitely a fear it feels with the big studios and what they're doing so they're playing it safe all the time and not wanting to take any risks whatsoever and it is more where the indie um what's the word I'm looking for um the ip or just well where it sits really isn't it you've got market thanks thanks that's (laughs) you can tell i've been teaching all day (laughs) um yeah i would love to know if you're happy to share about your your feature and what it's kind of based around and your pilot and everything that would be great yes i'd love to so my pilot uh, which is the one that won the nashville Film festival, screenwriting competition, placed in some other really great competitions as well. It's called Good Vibes Only, uh, and it's a comedy about uh, Black women and the orgasm gap. <laughs> um, so it is set in the PhD program at a predominantly white uh, institution, and it follows the two only 
the only two black women in that program and they get assigned um, a project, a research project about the orgasm gap. And they end up doing that research at a black owned feminist sex shop. So I mean, I want the CDs now. I, I want it now too. That's what I hear from a lot of folks, especially women, especially people of color, like, oh my God, um, please give it to me immediately. And so I mean, we're working yeah. on it. Um, yeah. That's been really fun to see the reception of, of that. Uh, the, we're submitting that to festivals and uh, competitions has been really like head spinny because it's like one of two things happen, especially when I get feedback. Um, it's either like, this is the best thing I've ever read. This is amazing. This needs to be a television show right now. Like women and people of color are going to feel so seen by this. There's nothing on TV like it. Or they're like, when I get a white man reader, they're like, what is this? I hate it. And it makes me uncomfortable. Three out of 10 stars. And I'm like, what? So um, I uh, was actually- 1% really of the world population is going to be on the first side though. Get it yeah. made, get it made yeah. now. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there are definitely white men who love my script. So uh, I like, I mean, our showrunner on Woke is, is a white man, the best white man in the world. I love Anthony. Um, but when I got, went in for my meeting, he he was so funny because it was just a room full of men. They weren't all white, but they were men. And he, he was the first person to say, he was like, welcome to this room of men. And I was like, <laughs> not me. But it was funny because I was like, wait, you they were like, we loved your pilot. And I was like, you did? <laughs> um, so, so I think it, it does really just depend. I think it's just men re, who are realizing that they've never given a woman an orgasm in their whole life, yeah. that yeah. they are uncomfortable <laughs> and I made them feel uh, called out and they didn't like it. So yeah. that's exactly. the pilot. Yeah. Dave, me, the studio exec who gave me five stars was like, I, I, my key question is, what is an orgasm? Like, that's the first question I have for you. <laughs> She made, she made a noise once it was good <laughs> so clearly this show is needed for you too Dave because it, there's some education required there yeah yeah I mean there is a lot of education in in that pilot and in, in the intention I have for the full series because I my full-time job before I got stabbed on woke as I was a sex educator so it really comes from uh, the experiences that I had being in that space. And I was a sex educator at a college. I was uh, working at Northwestern University. So it is very much inspired by all the years I spent teaching extremely smart kids who were very dumb when it comes to sex. So, um, <laughs> uh, so it's cool. And then my feature also similarly inspired by the work that I was doing outside of the creative space because um, so I was a sex educator slash uh, sexual violence survivor advocate. And so my feature is called Go to the Body, and it is about um, a young Black couple dealing with the aftermath of a sexual assault. So it's about um, a Black woman who is a professional activist and political organizer, prison abolitionist who gets sexually assaulted by another activist. And it's kind of how she is dealing with that trauma and trying to avoid dealing with the criminal justice system because she is an abolitionist. And then her partner who is a, a boxer 
is also dealing with his own secondary trauma around that event, because what a lot of people don't realize is that um, not just the survivor is impacted negatively by the bisexual assaults, also, you know, the people who are supporting them and witnessing that trauma through them, like that is a trauma itself. Uh, and I wanted to explore that. So both of them kind of have different ideas of what they think justice and healing is supposed to look like in the situation. And it causes a rift in the relationship. So uh, really excited about that. Like, it's unfortunately like a really evergreen topic. Like, we saw Promising Young Woman, which not my favorite, but um, Promising Young Woman was extremely popular and successful. And so was I May Destroy You. Like this is sadly something a lot of people relate to, but we don't necessarily get to see it through until like I May Destroy You through the lens of uh, Black women and women of color. Uh, and so, and through the lens of like secondary survivors and, and men. So all of that was percolating in my head. It's like, it's also a boxing film. It's, 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 it's a lot, but um, really glad that there is um, a lot of support behind it. Cause when I wrote it, I was kind of like, no, one's going to want to produce this like weird sexual violence boxing movie and uh, immediately got producers and won a bunch of you know, awards and pitch competitions. And it's being executive produced by Bronwyn Cornelius, who produced the film Clemency. She's really amazing. And um, it's in the hands of a very, very famous person at the moment who, yay or nay, hopefully will um, executive produce as well. So uh, it's, it's going, it's moving along. And I'm going to direct it too. Ah, that's really exciting. Yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. And I, I you know, I think it's going to be really meaningful for a lot of our listeners hearing you talk about these particular topics. Um, and we'll be excited to hear a film like that is getting made because uh, Scotland is actually going through its own particular reckoning right now with these issues. And there's been a couple of mm. moments of, of, of justice for survivors um, that was four years in the making. And um, wow. someone has been sentenced and, and that's caused a ripple effect of people really addressing where we have not had protections and support in our rehearsal rooms and our sets. And and it's conversations that we've been part of and doing a lot of community support. So it's it feels very, very real and relevant for us right now. So I'm, I'm actually getting a little bit emotional talking about it. Cause so hearing you um, are writing something that's so vital and important, it's going to be meaningful for, meaningful for me. And I think it's going to be really meaningful for our listeners as well. So thank you. Wow. Telling us about it. Um, oh, well, thank you. And like, that's the other crazy thing that it is not only evergreen, but like, there's not a community and not a country in the world that has not been impacted by sexual violence. And maybe, you know, it looks different from community to community. But um, I think one of the reasons that uh, Promising a Woman was not my favorite is that it felt so broad. Like, they did not really specify who this character was, what her community was. She was like super white. They like didn't address race or any type of other identity at all in, in the piece. Um, but even, but like the more specific you can't get with your storytelling, honestly, the more universal it becomes. And so I'm like, yeah, like this is a super very black story about a very specific type of black community. And it's very Chicago, but like, yeah, I there's going to be people in Scotland and people in India and people you know in rural America who still relate to it because I didn't just erase these people's identities completely kind of like yeah. they do in some films. So no because it's a human story. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, okay, it's something that is international. It doesn't matter what village you are from or what city you are from and what continent, country, someone you know will have experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. And for the folks that have like read it so far and um, we shot a proof of concept for it because it was like, there's a huge, huge hill to climb raising this money, especially like I'm, you know, triple minority and the first time director and all of my producers are women and mostly people of color and just, you know, all these reasons for people to not want to give us money. So we're like, let them not even give them a reason to not want to give us money and we'll do this proof of concept. So there've been several the script is in several people's hands and people have already gotten to see these characters come to life a little bit. And the biggest reaction I get is to the male partner's character, to Kendrick's character, because like of what you were just saying, like if you are not a survivor, you know a survivor. And there's been so many people who've had to support a, a friend or a partner or a loved one through this that so many people see themselves in. Kendrick and they're also like I've never seen a black man that's been written this way either um and so that's always really that's like the biggest um reward to me is when I get the feedback that they're like I saw myself in a character in one of your pieces and I've never seen that part of myself or myself at all on screen um and that was really that always makes me really emotional to hear. Yeah, I can feel that. And that's, oh, that's so important. And um, I'm really excited for, I'm really excited for you and really, really excited for you to get it made because it sounds vital. And um, yeah, congratulations. Like on all of it. Um, I'm conscious of time and that you've got another podcast to get to. Are you <laughs> no. going in? Are you going straight out at the top of the hour? Is that where you? Um, if you, if you're if we can have another like minute or two. It's like my friend's podcast. I'll just be like, <laughs> so like we have to finish up. Don't worry about it. Um, no, that's great. It's just that we normally ask a question, don't we, Elaine? We do we usually ask? We Please usually do ask. it. So, um, obviously we're called persistent and nasty. The reason for that is um, we took the quote, nevertheless, she persisted to the Elizabeth Warren one. And we reclaimed the word nasty after your former president used it against... Um, not mine. <laughs> not well, mine. Not president. yours, personally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the former president of this garbage, awful country. Yeah. <laughs> this hellscape. We deserved it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, reclaiming the word of uh, the 45th president of the United States. Um, yeah, so we wanted to reclaim that. We're very much about reclaiming words like bitch and moany, bossy, witch, coven, all the words that get used against us as women mm-hmm. to make us feel inadequate and less than. So we wanted to reclaim that. So Kira Jones, what does the phrase persistent and nasty mean to you? Ooh, it's a good one. I, I mean, persistent is pretty on its on its face, like is what it is. For me, it's like I have never felt like I needed anyone's permission to do the work I wanted to do. Any type of 
real or perceived barrier that was in my way. I'm like, well, I'm going to find a way around it. Like, yeah, if you don't want to produce my film, then I'm going to produce it myself independently. Or you don't, if I don't place in this competition, like it's not because I'm not a good writer, it's because that reader was an idiot and I'm going to find another competition where their reader's not an idiot. And I'm going to, you know, um, place in that one. And just um, there, I just constantly have to remind myself that, one, art is subjective, but also <laughs> this industry is incredibly discriminatory against women and people of color and disabled people and queer people, just anyone who's not a straight, yeah. white, rich man. And yeah. they have made it so that they, we as a society have been trained that those are the only stories that have value and that's stupid. And so I'm like, I, I will not let um, other people's limited view of what art should be stop me from making what I think the world needs to see. So that's what persistent means to me. Basically, screw straight white men. I'm going to do whatever I want. And <laughs> days. Please, yes. yeah. Um, nasty for me. Um, I think it's just being unapologetically yourself, even when it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, and for me, nasty in an even more specific context, being someone who writes so much about sexual pleasure um, and um, even you know, sexual violence and healing and things that people think are su not supposed to be put on screen or inappropriate. I'm like, great, like give, put, put that there because the shame that we build around those things actually leads to more harm. So you're not going to make me feel like something that's extremely um, normal and human and that so many people experience is something disgusting. Um, so for me, reclaiming nasty also means like reclaiming healthy sexuality and, and pleasure and, and making that uh, accessible in the world of film and television. Yes. I mean, Perfect. yes. Um, <laughs> you have, Kira, hit one of the persistent and nasty uh, points where I'm a little bit in love with you. So well done. <laughs> I'm in love with you both too. I can't, I wait, can't wait to come to uh, Scotland and you can see my face when it's not going in and out of focus. Um, so. oh. <laughs> Stupid racist webcam. I oh. swear. And like some days it's worse than others. And today it's like, girl, you gonna look uh, you gonna look like you're doing one of those interviews and you don't want your uh, identity to be shown. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it's oh. what it is. At least, you know, the viewers will get a nice, clear view or uh, sound of my voice. They don't have to yeah, do your, your voice. Yes, is, indeed. Your voice is beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, joining us today. And until next time, lovely listeners. Stay nasty. Nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we did that right. Yay. <laughs> ah.